Welcome to Unsupervised Learning, a security and tech-focused podcast that looks at the ideas, patterns, and models that help you thrive in a changing world. All right, today is a sponsored interview with a company I've heard a lot about recently and have been looking forward to chatting with them. Talking to Jason Meller, the founder and CEO of Collide, we talk about the problems in the BYOD space, Collide's approach to solving the problems, a user-centric approach to policy compliance, his views of what stops other players from being successful, and other topics. And with that, here is Jason Miller. Awesome. So I will have introduced you already, but welcome to Unsupervised Learning. And if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and about Collide. Yeah, thanks for having me, Daniel. So um, a little bit about me. I've been in the cybersecurity space, like we could say going all the way back to when I was a kid, right? I was a little rough around the edges at 13, a little bit of a script kitty, and that's when I kind of <laughs> fell in love with it. Um, but I grew conscious eventually and actually ended up uh, in the IT world, you know, starting in college and then eventually found myself working for GE at their computer instant response team, then found myself in the commercial side building cybersecurity products at Mandiant and FireEye. And then I founded Collide because I just loved building stuff for practitioners in the space. So I'm someone who feels very strongly about the intersection between people and cybersecurity. And that's due to my IT background and having to work with people so much. Mm -hmm. There's so many folks in the industry are very cynical about the end user's role when it comes to defending their own computers and stuff. And that's one of the things that I'm looking to change within Collide and the, and the new product that we built is a, a good example of that. Fantastic. And um, yeah, could you describe some of the problems that uh, you set out to conquer or address? Yeah, absolutely. So the challenge, um, and it's kind of surprising that this is still a problem in 2023. But if you look at the landscape um, for the average ITT, things really haven't changed much in the last 10 years. They're still using you know, mobile device management solutions like MDMs to solve things like patching and trying to manage the apps on the computer. And these solutions just aren't working that great. Like a good example is a few weeks ago at the time of this recording, Apple had like these emergency patches that everybody had to mm -hmm. get on the devices as quickly as possible. So if you're an IT person, what are your options? All right, well, number one is I can go log in in my MDM and I can like just push out the patch as fast as possible, like force reboot everybody's computer in the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. Well, if you do that, yeah, you, everybody gets patched really fast, but then you get that email from your boss, right? It's like, hey, the CEO was like in the middle of an investor <laughs> meeting and you just like totally host him, yep. right? Like that happens every time. So you can't push things out fast without like a big data loss event. And that's just one person, like you're disrupting, you know, potentially hundreds, thousands of people, depending on your organization. So you don't do that. You do the other thing, which is you nag people or you give them little nudge notifications like, hey, we really want you to update tonight or tomorrow. And then what do users do? They defer, they click later. Yeah. And it keeps escalating. The, the language keeps getting more and more aggressive, right? Right, right. Like you really, really need to, <laughs> to the point where it's like, you're going to get in trouble unless you... But we know from practice, like this has been this, the art since like the inception of update management. This is how it's been done, that the efficacy of that is, is really limited. In fact, on average, it takes about three weeks for about 90% of most uh, fleets to get an emergency patch like the one Apple just released. So it would be really right around now. And these patches are no joke. Like the vulnerability that I'm talking about was like drive by exploit. You go to the wrong web page, mm -hmm. you have malware on your computer. Like, so worst case scenario, 
and is this is still the state of the art this is like it takes three weeks to get this done or i can force it down everybody's throat and um piss everybody off in the next 40 hours so the answer is is that there's no new third way of doing this is another opportunity to solve this problem and it's more effective than the other two solutions i just mentioned and it involves this new concept called zero trust security or zero trust access so zero trust access is effectively a model where you try to vet both the person and the device that they're using before you give them privileged access to any sensitive resource in your in your company so like the apps that people sign into you don't want to just let people in you need to have them authenticate, but you also want to validate that the device that they're on is also meeting certain requirements. Mm -hmm. So there are zero trust solutions on the market already that do this, but they squander what is such an amazing opportunity. So effectively how the other zero trust access models work, they say, all right, this device, this looks like a personal device. So we're just not letting it in. And they kind of just like stop there and the user sort of like stopped dead. Well, what we believe a collide is that in that moment, that sign in opportunity, you can actually get the end user to do a whole bunch of stuff that they normally wouldn't be motivated to do. So for example, let's take updates. You're signing in, you're trying to log into GitHub, or you're logging going into Google Cloud, or whatever. You're signing in, Collide runs a check on the computer, and we say, hey, you're missing this emergency patch. Mm -hmm. you, need to, you need to install it right away. We'll give you a day to do it, but you need to install it right away. And if you don't, we're not going to let your computer sign into these apps anymore. So that's effectively the model that we're bringing to bear. And that model is only possible if you can integrate with a sign-in flow and you can actually black, block devices based on what the properties of that device are, like they have a, a bad patch or they're missing a patch. So then it becomes a problem of how do we give people the instructions and the information to not mm -hmm. only solve these issues, but then also give them a button that they can click that says, okay, I've done it. Can you let me in now? And that's effectively what we've done at Collide. Now, the results of having such a model mean that, like, for instance, at Collide ourselves, like in our own company, we use our own product, obviously. And those patches came out within 24 hours. That was how long we gave all of our employees. In 24 hours, more than 92% of our Macs were patched. And we have folks that are using this product today, and they saw similar results. That's unheard of yeah. in the IT management world. And it's just a subtle tweak of behavior. We're taking um, a moment in time to remind the user we really need them to do something. We're positioning it that there's going to be a consequence if they don't do it. And then what turns out what happens is the end users, they do it and they don't get mad about it, right? Because you give them a couple of days, like one or two days to really get it. And then they don't do it. Well, they know it's kind of on them to have done it. But the key is, is that when they fail to do it, you're not reaching into their computer and doing it for them. Still giving them some degree of control of when they're going to take that reboot. And that's what the difference is between a classic MDM approach in a zero trust access model approach. You're giving them that level of control, which means there's no data loss, but you're moving at the pace that you need to really get systems patched in a timely manner. And so that's just one use case, patching. But you think about apps on your computer, like your, your, your web browser, like there could be a vulnerability in Chrome. We need you to restart your Chrome. Like Chrome automatically updates, but you need to reboot it for the update yeah. to take effect. Again, same problem. When is the right time for the MDM to just reach into the computer and just force Chrome to close? Is it in the middle of the day? Is it at night? When do you do it? And then people are like, oh, I was in the middle of it. I was working on something. And now it's just like gone. So like, this is the, the underlying challenge that we're trying to solve. Zero trust access allows for that to happen. So you're, you're kind of adding some empathy into the situation and kind of working with the user and, and giving them that control, right. right? It's like, I understand what you're working on is an important 
So let's work together to figure out the right time and I'm going to help you walk through it. Correct. And that's so powerful. It allows us to do things that are really, really nuanced as well. Like for example, sometimes there's sensitive data on the computer. Like this happens to me all the time. I'm the CEO of the company, but we have salespeople. You sometimes need to download something onto your computer Mm -hmm. that has customer information in it. And that's okay. Like that's fine, but it shouldn't stay there forever. You should delete it, but Mm -hmm. nobody does. Like who remembers to go in their downloads folder and then you drag it to the recycle bin or the, the trash and you fail to get rid of it there. But it's just sitting there, this like really sensitive documents, like an invoice or a customer's requirements, or um, if you're an engineer, maybe it's like a backup of the production database, or maybe it's like the two-factor backup codes that you set up when you like sign up for mm. a new service. Like your downloads folder is littered with that stuff. Yeah. So how do we motivate an end user? Like how do you motivate an end user to deal with it? Same process. Log in. I'm trying to log into Salesforce or HubSpot. Hey, before you log in, we need you to delete this file. It's been just sitting there for two months. Like, do you, we don't need it anymore. Um, it's time to put it in the trash. And everybody's like, yeah, you're right. I don't need it there anymore. And now we've gotten them to do something really nuanced. We've communicated to why it's important. And then they do it. And that's, that's the key. Is, and there's really nothing else out there that allows you to really accomplish a similar type of thing. That that's is, the key is involving the end user. That is really cool. So you're using it as a gate. And it is a gate because they want to get in and do their work. And you're right. like, and you're saying you could use it for DLP. You could use it for endpoint checks. You could use it for whatever, whatever that thing is you really care about at that moment. You can start that conversation as they come in the next time. Right. Totally. Shadow IT is another one, right? Like think about all these new AI tools that are coming out. They're great, right? But some companies, they have a legal obligation to, you know, let's hold off for a second, right? Like you have GitHub Copilot. There's a lot of like consternation now, like, all right, is there IP at risk here? Are we inadvertently adding, you know, the wrong license, like this copyleft license and it's infecting all of our code? Or you look at things like Grammarly, where it's like, yeah, really useful, but now we're sending all this information to them. And therefore, um, are, are, is this going to bite us in like a situation mm. where there's a legal issue? And then they can now look up all the stuff during discovery. So companies have the right to say, hey, we, we recognize these apps are useful, but we don't want them here. Well, how do you solve that today? You have to buy all this technology to like block things. You remove admin from the, you know, and then these companies are smart. So they're like, oh, we can still make our app work without admin. And, you know, it's like a cat and mouse game. Well, with something like this, it's simple. You just say, hey, you're trying to sign in to Google Docs. We don't want you to have the Grammarly Chrome extension installed. We just, here's a safe way to run it. You know, use their web app. Don't Mm. use the thing that just rolls through every text area that you want that's on your screen and sends it out to a third party. Mm-hmm. And so you have now have an opportunity to explain to them, we this is why we don't want this on your device. Hey, what's this VPN doing here that lets you like watch Netflix content right. in the wrong country that's like right like we don't want you to be using that and like forget to turn it off and now everything's running through this weird VPN and like oh by the way the owners are like in a like part of the Russian Federation like sure. hey like let's not have that on, but that requires an explanation. You reach in and just like turn those things off for them. They never learn. They just try to reinstall it. And then it becomes the the next step is, oh, we should take away admin. And then suddenly now you're buried in tickets because now every time someone wants to install anything, it's now an IT help ticket. So this is this is the better way, right? Like you communicate to them, like you said, empathy, explain to them the why, and then you give them easy instructions to fix it. And then you give them a proportional consequence, proportional consequence if they don't do it. Interesting. So what, um, do you have the sort of MDM data gathering sort of component of this where 
So someone who's running the fleet can be like, yeah, so this empathy approach for TikTok or uh, ChatGPT, we tried it and we got this much efficacy. We're going to try this other policy. We're going to get this much efficacy because you have to see how many people actually uninstalled it or whatever, right? Right. And, and, and is that, well, is that something is, that's kind of built the in? The efficacy is 100%. That's the thing, right? It's like, there's only two options. It's you either do what we're asking you to do or you don't do your job. And then if you're not willing to do then it's like, now it's a conversation that extends beyond this security space. So for us, the efficacy is 100%. We know the efficacy is much lower for a lot of these nuanced issues. Sometimes it's, there is no a possibility to do it in the MDM. Um, here's a good example, right? Like say you're an engineer and you log into production sometimes and you have like a bunch of SSH keys on your computer. Yep. Well, what if that one of those SSH keys doesn't have like a password on it? That's common, right? Like people put make these SSH keys all the time. They're convenient. And they forget to put the passphrase on them. Well, how do you get someone to put the passphrase on? You can't do that with MDM. You need the user to be involved in that process. They need to set the password. You mm-hmm. can't delete the key. If you do that, that could be the only key that they have to get on that server. Yeah. So now you're really in a pickle. So the efficacy on MDM for solving a problem like that is 0%. You'll have 0% efficacy. So you don't have something like this. Now you got to reach out manually to each one of those users and just beg and plead. And then when they don't do it, you have to talk to their manager. You got to beg and plead. And it's like at some point, you're the IT person, you're the security practitioner of the company. You have other bigger fish to fry. You're going to let that stuff kind of slide so you can work on the more pressing issues. And then ultimately, it's one of those tiny things that ends up biting you. And that's how you become a headline later. Yeah. So this is, so when we're comparing efficacy, it varies. But with Collide, it doesn't matter what you choose, it's going to be 100% because of how it works. Yeah. So what what about a, a policy like this? Um, let's say TikTok. Let, let's say yeah. um, we think that the government is going to do something crazy and they're just going to like demand it comes out. Uh, but we're going to say in the meantime, hey, we would really like you to remove this. And it's like this empathy thing, but it's not a hard check. Right. It's actually an ask, but not a hard check. And then we say it's actually going to be hard check in the future. So it is staged. Like, right. Um, is that possible to, to actually make a request, but not actually require it? Yeah. In fact, that's actually how we recommend you start, right? You want to say, Hey, this is going to block your device in the future. It's even better if you give them a hard date too Yeah, in a month or in seven days. So you give them time and they see it every time they sign in. Like, remember tomorrow it's going to be the day that Mm -hmm. this is coming off. And that gives you a little bit of top cover, right? Because then people can have a conversation. They're like, well, wait a second. I'm part of the social media team. I didn't hear that we're getting rid of TikTok. Like I need to log in TikTok. We're in TikTok. Like that's how we we generate leads or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that allows those conversations to happen and transpire. It's like, okay, well, you have four people here. We're just making this them the exemption. Uh, we're gonna make exemptions for them, but and we need to make sure they're on a device that doesn't have other data on it, and we're okay with it. But for everybody else, we don't want them to have TikTok. Um, that's I think a valid approach. The thing is, though, you need to have that consequence in the rear view mirror or maybe sure. in the in the horizon ahead. If you sort of, we've learned this in the past is if you just sort of ask and be like, one day it's going to be a thing we're going to block on. Yep. You don't really. They're like, next, no next, next system. Yeah. They're just like, whatever. <laughs> I don't care. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll deal with it. It's actually a problem. So that's really the key is it has to be this visceral. It's not even a human being that's making the decision anymore. This is locked in. I'm this dispassionate computer that will block you. I don't care who you are if you don't fix this issue now mm-hmm. or in eight days or 20 days, whatever it is. So that the fact that it, there's this 
computer really the thing that's handling it that gives you like okay yeah i got to deal with this versus oh by the way a policy change is coming up and then it's going to require another human level of intervention and then do the blocking piece that's when people just kind of know like ah, i'll deal with it when i deal with it yeah that makes sense what all types of clients can you can you handle everything um so that's why we're really powerful so mac windows obviously linux is like a big thing for us so we work on both centos based linux and ubuntu based or debian based linux so it's like all the popular flavors there and there is no mdm solution for linux right you're kind of on your own you have to do your own thing and the reality is like most of these people who are on linux they want that experience of like all right just tell me what the requirements are and i'll get my computer in the state that the it team wants it to be in and then we just run checks to make sure that they're doing it right so for linux this is great and then of course we have uh, mobile apps as well so ios and android and so we really kind of covered it. Um, the only thing that we don't support yet is Chrome OS. And so we're going to be adding support for that later this year. But effectively, unless you have a really large contingent of Chrome OS, um, we pretty much have you covered. Yeah. <clears throat> Very cool. And, and what does a deployment look like? Like how fast are you uh, normally getting out into uh, a large environment or a medium-sized environment? Yeah. So important thing to note is our first, this is a brand new product. And um, the first integration that we have is we don't want to be, be your SSO provider. We want to integrate with your existing single sign-on provider. So you need to have SSO. And right now you need to have Okta specifically. So Okta is a requirement. So the way that the implementation works is we sit down with you and we work out your plan, right? Okay, like what apps do you really want to protect in this way? Um, are we rolling this out just to a certain population? Are we starting with Linux and then rolling out to everybody else? Do we want to do mobile? Do we not? Then once we have a plan, we do a pilot. And that pilot is effectively, we work with you kind of hand in glove to get it up and running in Okta, give you a, a smart group that you can add people to so you can continually expand the people that are now using this thing. And um, once you've really used it for a few weeks, you'll see the efficacy is really great. And then we just transition to a conversation where we're like, all right, what does the full rollout look like? What is the communication plan? How are we letting people know that this is coming down the pipe? What should they expect? Um, what are the resources that they need to know? So they feel comfortable with how the solution works. And then you do your rollout. Then once it's out, it's sort of like a set and forget type of thing. And that's the thing that's so great about it is that Collide doesn't generate more IT help desk tickets. People just deal with the issues and um, your computer your computers just get safer just by virtue of rolling it out. So once it's out, it's kind of like a non-issue. Um, and then with new employees, they just, when they come in for the first time, they're signing into Okta and then they just go through the enrollment flow and it's really easy for them. And you can pre-deploy the agent all to uh, the, the devices using your existing MDM, or the users can self-install if you want them to, which is nice for the phones and things like that, or on you know even if you want to allow personal devices too. And that's some of our customers do that. They want to have personal devices come in, and um, they're okay with them for some apps as long as they meet baseline requirements, like they're up to date and they're patched, and you know the browser's patched, and and so on and so forth. So it's a great solution for bring your own device, not just for mobile, but also for endpoints as well if you want to go that route yeah interesting especially with this uh, last pass thing that just happened where it was someone's home uh, home computer i, I imagine yeah, you're hearing yeah. about I that when we're thinking about it for sure that's exactly right and you know inherently this happens all the time and it always happens with the folks who have the most access right because they're usually people who've been at the company for the longest and they've they've probably grown up in the in in the company where there was more it was more lackadaisical like when Collide first started, we were like two, three people. We didn't even have enough money to get everybody laptops yet. You know, like that's yeah. what startups are like in the early days. 
and you get these early like your founding engineers that yep. all the keys to the kingdom they get into this mindset of like i'm just doing the work wherever i can do it and it's fine because it's always been fine and there's always a re- reluctance to really lock those people down because they're really high up now and you yep. have the ear of the ceo and you're an it or security guy and you're just like <laughs> i don't know you can't like, have I, this, this stuff anymore problem and i yep. can't do anything right and that's kind of i didn't, i'm just speculating but when i was reading about the last past incident they said like four people only had access to this special vault well these are probably like high-ranking really important people oh geez and those people tend yeah exactly mm-hmm. and they tend to have this feeling that they can just kind of do whatever they want because they're smart and they're into the security space like oh yeah. i'm an engineer i know about security well no you don't you have this media center thing called plex it's full of vulnerabilities yep you weren't on top of it so that's the thing is these companies they need a way to stop those personal devices from even authenticating to these critical systems and what better way to adopt a zero trust model that not only does that but also helps the computers that they already trust because the company owns them get them to an even more trusted state because now we're dealing with the oh you know the ongoing maintenance like the patching and the you know shadow it stuff and sensitive data. I like that it's getting the um the user involved not just from an empathy standpoint, but in the sense of like they have to understand what security is. Like you're like, hey, right. we've got some IP issues here. We've got some like AI stuff. We're not sure where that's going. I don't really like that a copy of everything you're doing is going to the cloud. Also you're not patched. And it's like now the user is kind of doing these things. It's a little more ownership. It just right. gets them more involved in thinking about security. As opposed to hands off, I'm gonna walk away while all these updates happen, you know, uh, opaquely behind the scenes. You're exactly right. And it's a losing battle. Your company's growing. You can't do it all for them, right? Like the, these systems are becoming more complex. There's more things that end users want to do. There's more apps. Like I talk to companies all the day and we ask them, how many SaaS apps do you have? And the ones that can even answer, they're like, I don't know, 800 and they only have right. like a thousand employees. Mm-hmm. They're like 800. And some of them are like, we have, I think, five to eight. 8,000. You have 8,000 SaaS apps. And like at some point, it becomes really, really hard. And so you can't be on top of it. And then, that, then, you, that, then there's a combinatorial explosion between the amount of SaaS apps and the amount of things that they can do on their, let's say, Mac. And they have admin access on the Mac because that's kind of like how you have to do it on the Mac for it to be a useful experience. Yep. And they're just installing whatever they want and doing all this stuff. I don't know how an IT person could get their arms around that with the tools that they have today. You have to start building up this architecture that really is like, I need to define requirements that say, unless these things are true, we're not letting the device on. And even if we bought the device and we gave it to them, even if it has our M on it, we want to make sure that it's meeting these requirements. And that's the only way you could start wrapping your hands around the problem. And then it becomes so important to get the end users to do it for you. Because if you're sitting down and you're writing scripts and then, okay, the script worked for like 90%, then 10%, there's all these bugs and problems. These operating systems weren't always designed to like be managed this centrally. They're really designed to be run by the person who's sitting behind them. What better way to co- accomplish these things is to get the end user to just do it. And mm-hmm. this is the effective way to task end users who have no business wanting to listen to you as the IT security person. It makes them do that. And it makes it do them in a way that feels like they're part of it. And they're not just having their hands wrenched off the steering wheel. Um, so that's why I think it's so powerful. Yeah. And so talk me through like where you're going with the zero trust thing. Cause, it, cause that's obviously like getting onto the thing, but also where you could go. So you're tying together the identity with the state of the system. And yes. are, are you anticipating using that to kind of like, be like, well, now you have access to these things or those things. 
Uh, it doesn't sound like that's there yet, but are you thinking about that in the future? Yeah, we've learned a lot about this, actually. Um, what we've seen is the organizations naturally want to start from a place where they're thinking about trust in terms of levels of trust. Mm -hmm. Because it makes sense, right? You think, all right, I have certain services or apps that I don't really care too much about the state of the device, maybe certain things. And then they say, all right, then I have like a level two or level three where it's like, oh, this is the critical keys of the kingdom. I want to make sure these things are true. But what we found in practice is that if you slice and dice it too much, it really confuses end users. End users don't want to be like, oh, I, if I log in a Gmail, I'm good. But then I go to like HubSpot and suddenly there's a problem. And then what you really don't want in this model is to surprise people being blocked. Yeah. People need to be able to anticipate or know in advance that their device is already in a state that it is blocked before they get there. Mm -hmm. they, they, they need to know that the block is real so that they respect it. But beyond that, once they know that it's a real thing, then the, the answer is how do we make their experience as consistent as possible and to give them forewarning that their system is in the right state? Well, that when you're talking about end user, it doesn't have a lot of time. That boils down to a single state. Am I good or am I not good? And if you try to make it like, oh, you're good for level one apps and level two apps, you're not, it becomes really convoluted and confusing. And then that's when it starts to unravel and end users start getting mad at the IT team for rolling it out mm. versus why not just endeavor to have as many devices at the pinnacle of security as we can, knowing that it actually isn't that hard for the end user to really accomplish those things. We're not talking about a lot of stuff. And in fact, many of the things that they end up fixing they only have to fix once and then they're done. So there's like that initial remediation period that they're going to go through. Mm -hmm. And then once they're in, they're probably not going to get stopped or blocked until there's actually an update or a patch they need to apply or they like download something. It's going to be rare. And so therefore you want to actually load them up with everything all at once that they need to get done and make that the requirement for accessing any app where you may want to do any level of differentiation is really just between a personal device, like bring your own device and uh, a company owned device. You might say, oh, I'm okay with your personal device accessing Slack, but I'm, uh, but that's it. All mm -hmm. right. Well, that there's some differentiation there that I, we can get our arms around. But beyond that, if it's a company owned device, make it as secure as possible and give the user one state that they're really aiming for. Yeah. I just had a crazy idea for you. Um, <clears throat> have you ever seen the studies where if you walk up to a stranger and you say, hey, can you do this for me? Um, you get a certain amount of like effectiveness of them saying yes. Yeah. But if you say comma, because it doesn't matter what you say after the, because, because you've given a reason that's tangible, it like doubles in how often they're willing to do it. If you say, can I right. cut in front of you in line? They, it's like 20% uh, say yes. If you say, because my sister is babysitting and I need help, they, they just let you cut in. What, what if you were to like put the prompt up and it's like, you've got to patch this because this, uh, SecOps engineer just got hacked at last pass. You got to do right. this one because, because, because and it's like, oh, wow, this is kind of tangible of like why I should make this change. Anyway, random yeah, idea. And that's one of the things we're really exploring with. There's a, um, a pull between how fast do we want them to walk, you know, understand what's going on versus how much depth to the explanation we want to provide. And like, do we make that something that they must read or is it yeah, yeah, for true. people that are curious to know? And we're learning that actually a lot of people do want to know why um, yeah. for the reasons that you mentioned. And in fact, we have a ongoing check. Like, so when you roll out Collide, 
there's just a built-in check that's like, how long do you want when Apple releases a new patch or Microsoft or you know Ubuntu or Canonical? How long do you want it to be until the user adds it? And you know, some people will be like, all right, well, in a normal situation, I'm okay with it being two weeks. But then you have these emergency situations, right? And you don't want to reuse the rationale for the two-week one yeah. for the emergency one. So we encourage our customers build a new check just for the emergency patch yeah. and then write out why this one is like different. Why mm-hmm. are we only getting one day to do it? And people will be like, oh, shoot, like I don't want to be the, com- the computer that ends up being the thing that gets ransomware all over the place. Mm-hmm. Sure, I'll patch. And I totally agree with that. Where we started at Collide is we started with the messaging piece. We didn't have the zero trust access piece. That's actually how we made most of our growth, this Okta thing and the zero trust access is the new thing on top of it. And so just by asking people, not even giving them the consequence, you get a pretty surprisingly good percentage of people who are willing to do that. Eventually, though, what happens is they get fatigued and then they, yeah. they stop caring. So that's why the consequences are important and, and not just important, necessary for the system to really function at scale and for the long term. No, that makes sense. What, um, what do you wish uh, you guys were doing better? And I know it's early, but um, like just some stuff that you're working on is kind of exciting. Yeah, I'd say the thing that I want to really do is make it easy for people to write their own checks. Mm-hmm. Like we have about a hundred of them that we deploy, which is far beyond any other zero trust access platform. And the reason why is we have this really great endpoint agent that really can get deep into the computer and SQL to like get even more information. We've built a great editing experience and we even built templates on top of that. But um, what I want to get to a place is you as an admin, not having to be on top of the fact that there's a vulnerability out and like creating that new check. I want to get to a place where we collide, have a beat on what's going on with all the apps and all of the OSs and the vendors. And we're like, hey, we have this check ready to roll for you for this emergency situation. Like Plex vulnerability, hit that last pass guy. Like there is, should be a programmatic way for us to determine. We can enumerate all the apps, the computers on on every computer mm-hmm. that we're a part of. We can look up the CVE information for all those apps. We should be able to marry that data set together and then give the admin recommendations of you should build this check because this vulnerability for this piece of software is really bad. And you actually have like eight people in the company right now that are affected by it. So click this button, roll out the check now and watch it go to zero within days. Like that's where I want to be at right now. Very nice. Give you all of that power, but you kind of have to be on top of it. So that's where I want to really take this is that we are now leveraging this new superpower. And now we're providing recommendations that are very situational and time sensitive. Hey, we got a major app vulnerability here. You need to pay attention and you need to roll out this check. Trust me. And if you do that, you're going to really materially mitigate um, a lot of vectors of attack that could boil into eventually a LastPass situation. Yeah. No, I absolutely love it. Um, this is really great stuff. Um, I, I, got a, I got a final question for you. What is something that you strongly believe that most other people don't believe? My strong belief is that we will never solve security in totality like we will not make devices secure unless we involve the people behind the computer that are actually using the individual users that are using those devices we try to extract them out of the problem and turn it into a computer science problem it will fail 
there's no way to create a perfect system that also allows an end user to be a part of it. You can create maybe a perfectly secure server that has no inputs into it. Once you've introduced the human element into any of these things, you have to account for it. So I feel in my core that the next generation of security products are going to be the one that are the most effective, are going to be the ones that embrace the end user's focus and collaboration as part of the solution, not looking for ways to lock them out or to take more of the problem off their hands. And I know that's counterintuitive because I think most engineers are looking for ways of automating problems. Like that's the classic way we think about solving problems in, in computer science is mm -hmm. automation, creating software, the humans don't have to be a part of it. But I feel very strongly that that is not going to be the case for security. And we can see that already. Like phishing is a major part of this and humans are always a part of it. So we need to make sure that we're educating them, that we're motivating them to be on the same team. It's a tragedy of the commons, right? Like people don't, aren't paid to worry about patching their computer, but they need to be part of it. And we need to come up with systems that do that. It's the same thing with safety science. Like if you look at like manufacturing plants and mm. people have like heavy machinery, you remember how many people used to die before they had this idea of like tag out, lock out, remember tag out, lock out. Yeah. You, you lock out the device, you put your tag out, you put a lock on it so that nobody can like turn on the machine while you're inside and get chewed up by the machine. No one wanted anybody to die, but people kept dying because humans are failable. And until you embrace the solution that involves the end user, the users of the machines being part of it and training it and it's fail and, and it's like foolproof, then, then then as soon as that system was introduced, deaths, accidental deaths like that plummeted near to zero. We need a similar level of like safety science perspective into the cybersecurity endpoint management compliance space. And this I think is the first like dip into that thought process. Like how can we create a system that can work at scale? And it involves the end users. And this, I think, is the first real honest attempt at doing that. And that's what I believe. In oh, that. yeah. I, I really love this. Um, because there's two ways to approach it. There's one way to approach it is that it's just too complex. You actually need the person who understands the complexity to deal with it. But that's a complexity claim, which, which right. I agree with. What you're saying is more like a culture claim. And, and what you're talking about, so I've done a lot of work in energy space. And um, their ability to progress in the company is like how safe they act. You drive too fast in the parking lot, you don't get promoted because right. they equate driving too fast in the parking lot with an oil rig disaster, right? So it's just like built into the culture. And, and that to me is what I'm hearing from you is like, make it a culture thing to make them more resistant to the fishing calls or the patches or whatever. Right. That's exactly right. It needs to be part of the culture and there needs to be automated systems. It can't just be a PowerPoint training. Yeah. It needs to be. It's like inherently built in to the core of how the company operates. And what more effective way to do that than to do it in auth when we have this explosion of SaaS apps. That's the moment. That's the point of performance where we can really influence behavior. And that's when people are going to really pay attention because we're stopping them from doing something that they need to do. Yeah. Now they're really paying attention. So it's exciting. And this is all new stuff. Like It's all greenfield. We're, we're like coming up with user experience that's never been really tried before. It's a lot of fun to do that. Um, and personal thing, like for me is it's, uh, you know, scratching that itch of we're finally getting end users involved. And what's even better is that I don't have to make an argument to just be like, oh, you should trust end users. No, the argument is, is if you don't roll this out, you're just going to be slower at patching your devices, period. Yeah. So that's a very easy argument to make. Like, do you want this? Do you want your devices patched faster? This is the new way of doing it. And it just so happens it involves the end users. And so even the most cynical IT people, they'll look at the efficacy and they'll be like, all right. I can't argue it. It's better. 
So why wouldn't we do it? Yeah. And it becomes like, I need to check my biases. Maybe uh, there's something other reason I don't want to do it, but they're showing me it's better. I, I really should do it. Yeah. What I like about it is it's the combination of like the hard approach and the soft approach. It's empathy on the front end, but like a hard gate, you're not getting in on the back end. So you're getting right, benefits right. of both of those. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I've enjoyed the conversation. Uh, where can people learn more about the company? Yeah. So if you, this is in product that's out right now. Um, and if you have Okta and you want to try it out, uh, just hit us up at collide.com, K-O-L-I-D-E.com. We have like a cool two minute demo video. If you want to see this, we have like a longer video you can watch. You have 20 minutes or you just get on the call with someone like me or another salesperson on the company and uh, they'll walk you through it. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we still do a lot of stuff there. K-O-L-I-D-E on Twitter. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's uh, J Maller, J-M-E-L-L-E-R. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Jason. See you. Take care. Bye-bye. Unsupervised Learning is produced and edited by Daniel Meisler on a Neumann U87 AI microphone using Hindenburg. Intro and outro music is by Zombie with a Y. And to get the text and links from this episode, sign up for the newsletter version of the show at danielmeisler.com slash newsletter. We'll see you next time.